that as people are changing their life, they're changing it via their own spiritual growth. Here are people with such traumatic past. They've been demonized, forgotten, abused, and yet they're, they're finding power in their own spirituality and finding God, which in, in witnessing that made me realize that maybe my view of my own spirituality is pretty superficial. I should, I should open my eyes along the way and learn from the, the homies and learn from this community. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired, and please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am really happy to welcome Tom Wazo to the My Fourth Act podcast. Tom has a life before and a life after becoming the CEO of Homeboy Industries. Prior to Homeboy, Tom served in senior executive roles in corporate America. His last corporate role was as executive vice president with Aramark, a $13 billion revenue leader in the food services uniform apparel and facilities management industry. That's a mouthful, but if any of you have ever stepped into a corporate cafeteria anywhere in the United States, there was probably some Aramark stuff in there. As an executive coach who's eaten in many of those, I've seen Aramark everywhere. Now, since 2012, Tom has been the first ever CEO of Homeboy Industries the largest and most successful gang rehabilitation program in the world, founded by Jesuit priest, Father Greg Boyle. Loyola Press just published Tom's deeply moving and inspiring book, The Homeboy Way. So welcome, Tom. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. We're obviously going to talk about homeboy industries, the work you do there, and and the lessons you learned there as a business leader, but also as a human being. But before we go there to create a little bit of context, because I have a hunch when you were a little boy growing up, you didn't think I'm going to run a company like Homeboy at some point. <laughs> so when you were growing up and mom and dad asked you, so Tom, what do you want to be as an adult? What were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. I got to say, when I was growing up, I was the fourth of fourth children. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't, as a family, my, my folks worked hard. We didn't have a lot of resources. My brothers and I were the first ones in our generations to go to college. So we didn't have a lot of, you know, it wasn't a typical where a lot of dreams where I want to be, you know, an astronaut or a lawyer or a doctor. But, you know, along the way, I sort of understood, I think I sort of always knew I had a sense for business and I like leading people. And, you know, listen, I was good at math. So I mm-hmm. went to college and became a math major along the way. So you, you can't, it's hard to monetize being being a math guy. But my thoughts, you know, as a youth, you know, my parents got us focused on helping out other people who are in a tougher spot than we are. So so that obviously influenced me through my life and printed on me that to do good for others. That phrase you just said, I had a sense I was good at business. 
I want to probe a little bit because I come from the other side. I never had a sense I was good at business. I've been successful mm-hmm. in spite of myself, and I feel like I'm good at it now. But, but what in you thought? Oh, I think I'm good at this. Can you give an example of how when, what that sense was? You know, it's two things. I think it's one. It, it, there's the the understanding of being around different types of people. You know, it's all the time. So whether you have poor friends or rich friends or friends that are smart, friends that are dumb, you know, it's like if you can move within a bunch of circles, now those are very high school cliches <laughs> about clicks. Yeah. But if you can move in a bunch of circles, then you then you sort of have a sense that you you have inner confidence. And then it was only then later on, then through later on summer jobs and college jobs, I sort of the I paid more attention to the business stories than I did to the stories of academic type folks. Yeah. What I thought of, again, I, I relate everything saying to me and to our listeners mm-hmm. and what they might be thinking about, but you said it so beautifully. I think we succeed in business also through by working well with and through others, right? And the ability to move in different circles, which I trust you're totally doing at Homeboy Industries now, is really critical to, to business success. Now, you had 25 plus year in very senior roles in I'm going to put them in the bucket more what I think of manufacturing industries. If mm-hmm. that's the wrong bucket, please correct me. That comes from the world that I know. And I just, if you could give our listeners a glimpse of, they're usually two sides of every coin. They're the moments where you go, God, this is amazing. I love what I get to do here. So a moment, maybe that stands out, but also maybe a moment where you go, shoot, this is hard. Why the hell am I doing this? Can you take us to both of those opposites as you reflect on that part of your life? Yeah, sure, sure. So I was, I felt fortunate, you know, you started with my younger life. So I I went to graduate school, got my master's in mathematical sciences. And then, you know, among the first jobs coming out, I was coming out of graduate school, had an opportunity to NSA <laughs> offer me a job. American uh-huh. Airlines offer me a job. So the big corporations or NSA is a, not a corporation. It's a big organization, right? Yeah. Right. But I went to a small entrepreneurial mail order catalog company. Now this is back in the nineties. So it wasn't the same as e-commerce, but it was like <laughs> yes, mail order catalog. We're, we're dating ourselves. Now. We're dating ourselves. Right. So hopefully your audience understands this, but you know, for what appealed to me among all those choices was going to a, a small company, entrepreneurial, really looking to grow fast. And again, as, as I was saying earlier before glibly, you know, what how can a math guy monetize himself? But listen, so in a, in the mail order world, you know how many catalogs you mail out, and you know how many orders you get back, and then you say, can you produce statistical modeling and be smarter about who you mail to and the direct marketing aspects? And, and that business grew, I, I sort of joined when it was, uh, probably like $30 million and it grew to $300 million. And so, you know, I grew along with it. And what I, that had a culture, it was a family run business, had a culture of, you know, just, just come on, just work hard and everything will be successful in the end. And then that business was acquired by what turned out to be Aramark Corporation. And so I got to learn from what a family run company is about and high growth to a big corporation that was managed services company, not so much a manufacturing, but a service bucket, service industry bucket. And what Aramark kind of taught me was take the longer term view, invest in leadership, invest in personnel, invest in ideas. And so if you were a young person, had a good thought, but also could lead and wanted to work really hard, these were two business experiences. Say, wow, you can be successful and move your life forward. So I think that the spirit of your question is what I loved about all those opportunities was 
the entrepreneurial aspect of it. Uh, we're all in it as a team. Aramark is a very interesting case example of back in 1985, before my days, it did a, a management buyout, an LBO, which was very unique at the time. And for many years, Aramark was a, was a private company that employees owned. So we as employees had fairly sizable ownership shares. It depends on how level high up you are in the corporation. So what I'm saying there is what we learned at Aramark is to be is to run the organization as employee owners. And everybody had the same incentive structure to yeah. do well so that someday we would go public and then everybody would sort of have a great liquidity event. And so that was all the, the positive side of what I learned, entrepreneurial, work hard, get everybody's incentives aligned. It's all successful from there. I want to read a quote from your book that really grabbed me that I mm -hmm. think goes maybe to the dark side. Yep, sure. And since you wrote it, these are your words. Yeah, <laughs> so here we you go. You got it. You wrote, I was the $6 million man, a true and trained apparatus of corporate America. I was to be among the best of what is produced. Yet I knew I was missing one aspect of, in quotation marks, the package to make my way to the very, very top, a killer instinct that instinct to trample over others to get there, to reach the top rung on the ladder. I read that and I say, gosh, that sounds harsh. <laughs> Would you elaborate on what this experience relates to, Tom? Sure. Well, it's interesting. You're reading it as an executive coach there along the way, right? Yeah, I gave so, it a little so, bit of drama, right? So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Let me kind of, there's a few things here. My reference, you know, you'll see this in the in the book I wrote. My reference to the $6 million man is back to my youth when there was that uh, TV show with Lee Majors. That, oh, yes. That, that I remember. The astronaut, the astronaut burned and they rebuilt him and they, he became the $6 million man. And and I always thought along my corporate days and hats off to Aramark and, and companies, corporations like them who invest in their leadership team. And I was, it wasn't just normal investments of normal training, but then they took the high potential folks. And so like, we're going to yeah. do more for these high potential folks. And I was always in that realm of, of being invested in and having executive coaches and fly me to St. Louis, did all this testing and poking and prodding and asked me about my childhood. I feel sorry for you for all of the prodding. <laughs> <laughs> right. And all the different types of Test, IQ test, my yes, anyway, yes. all that stuff. I'm, I'm saying I'm joking that because it's your world here. It's my bit. world, yeah. But listen, but they did it for a reason because if I'm a better leader and a better executive, it's you know it, everybody in the corporation benefits, right? And so, uh, so I always felt like I was the, I was that you know six million dollar man astronaut that they, they hey I'm going to build this weapon, this great the person with a lot of tools to do well for the corporation, and so you keep moving up and moving up the ladders. But the second half of the quote was. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to a certain level, and then it's like, then it's like, well, what's the difference between? It's not so much functional skills yeah. anymore. It's sort of C-suite politics uh, in yeah. some senses. You also have to understand the business model you're in, like who's your ownership structure, who you're really working for. You know, we were a public. I had the experience of being working in a public company. Now this is a billion dollar, you know, thirteen billion dollar business. Uh, officer in a public company. Then I was an officer in a company owned by private equ equity folks. And how's that incentive structure change? What are the rules of the game there? What are your deliverables? And then what's it take to be the not just the you know one of four EVPs of a thirteen billion dollar company? What's it take to be a CEO? And so to me, it's like it's in some senses it's it's to have that. And the way I thought about it in the quote is the final killer instinct where you gotta just 
be 100% dedicated, in my sense, march over people. And I want to, if I allow me some time to answer this a little please, bit more, please. my seminal moment for all this comes down, if, if your folks list, remember back to the 2008 recession, the Great yeah. Recession of mm-hmm. 2008. Now, it's different from the recession we just went through in the pandemic. 2008 recession was caused by the economic environment we all lived in, right? And so the economy really shrunk by about 10 to 15% in a short period of time. And so here I was, here I was, Aramark, right? And I was running a $2 billion division set of mm-hmm. companies. Our deliverable that year for profit was $150 million. Recession hits. We do all what we need to do. We, you know, we downsize, we right size. It's, you know, we, we you know, change right. prices and customers and all that, right? Before the recession, we thought we were going to do $150 million profit. With all the changes we made, we were still going to do $140 million profit. And so I remember having a conversation with the chairman like after my reprojection came in. Mm-hmm. And I remember him telling me, Tom, that's not good enough. We need to get back to the $150 million. So we need to get that extra $10 million. And I knew as he's telling me, and as he's like, and it was a terse conversation, as he's telling me, that $10 million that I got to get to, I'm now going to have to lay off another round of people, long-term employees, people care so much. They've spent so much of their time on behalf of this corporation. I'm thinking to myself, for what reason? Because we're only doing that. I knew, I knew. We're only doing that so we can keep to our commitments that we made to Wall Street to the bankers because we just had become private, but it wasn't going to change the valuation of our corporation, that extra $10 million on profit. And so I'm thinking, well, we're sacrificing the long term. We're sacrificing people. Now, a corporation can be fine. We're sacrificing people just to play that, that game and be successful. And so that at that point, I knew I did not have that gene in my body to want to sacrifice people just to make my numbers. Maybe one thing if we were losing money, but we weren't losing. We just weren't making enough money. I've had a version of what you just said, the conversation with so many executives, and I know how painful that moment is. And there are the numbers, but then there's the human part of being a leader, which you just spoke about. So thank you for your clarity. I do want to get to homeboy industry. Yeah, please. Before we get to how you got there, would you just give us a little overview of what Homeboy Industries is as an organization and its mission before we speak about how you ended up there. Yes. So Homeboy Industries is a nonprofit organization. Uh, We help former felons and former gang members change their life. You need two criteria to become a member of Homeboy Industries as a client. You need to have been incarcerated. You need to have been affiliated with the gang. And then obviously the third is you want to change your life and get out of that. And so Homeboy Industries was started over 30 years ago. Jesuit priest, uh, Father Greg Boyle, was his first station as a priest was in Dolores Mission, which is the poorest parish of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Happened to be the epicenter of gang violence in Los Angeles, which says something because Los Angeles is the gang capital of the country and probably the world along the way. And so too many young men were dying of gang violence. Greg wanted to change that dynamic. And he hit upon what's a pretty simple thought now. If you get if you can get these young men a job where they have enough money for food and shelter, they're not going to go run with the gangs because that's what really what the running with the gang is the only family they think they have. It's a false family. They think that's the only hope they have, but that's how they're making money. So Greg started really essentially getting a jobs program to pull men out of 
the gang lifestyle. And then over time, changed to having social enterprise businesses. We have a bakery, we have a cafe. But along the way, as the businesses grew and changed was the knowledge that all these, all the folks we're working with are second, third generation gang members for sure, but they're all victims of complex trauma. And so for them, really for them to get out of gangs and mainstream back in society is about helping them heal from their trauma. And so here we are now, Homeboy Industries, it's a $30 million nonprofit. We raise $30 million. We spend $30 million. Okay, yes. We help people leave gang life. And it's a and it's amazingly successful. Although I've been there a number of years, I feel like it's my job still to brag on their behalf. And it really, and it's the secret sauce is as people walk through our doors, it's simply as don't judge them for the color of their skin or tattoos on their face or the gang they're from. Just just say yes in some type of way of helping them and build a relationship and have them feel love for the first time in their life. And that's what changes people. I'm glad we ended on love along with all sorts of other skills mm -hmm. and trauma mm -hmm. training that you do and trauma healing. I love so many things about your story, but also for our listeners, I'm sure everybody's going. That was my thought. So how does an executive vice president from Aramark as the first ever CEO of Homeboy Industries, that seems like another side of the planet. Can you just tell us the, the mechanics of how did that yeah, happen? How sure. did you leave? How were you recruited? Like, how did that happen? I left Aramark. I knew after Aramark, we became we from public to private. And the way the private equity deal was written, we all had handcuffs on for four years, golden handcuffs, right? Yeah. And so at that four-year mark, I Nearby, I knew I wanted to leave that corporate part of my life and look for the next chapter. I left Aramark, but a board member, I've been on the board of Salvation Army of Los Angeles for many years. You know, Aramark always encouraged us to be, you know, local and, and be part of the community. A friend of mine there was on the board of Homeboy. After I left Aramark, he invited me down to the Homegirl Cafe and we had lunch and uh -huh. he asked me to get involved. And I thought, well, you know, I've been board member plenty of times and I got time on my hands. How can I, I don't want to be a board member. Let me, let me help out in a different way. And I was kind of curious, could, could my skills be used? Everything I learned along the way, could they be used in a different way to help people? Now I'm a big, I want to say, I, even today at going to conferences representing Homeboy, I start by saying I'm a committed capitalist. I believe well-run companies are good for our society. They provide jobs. If, if customers want to pay you for your service, great. And they provide jobs for people and if you run an excellent place to work, people want to work for you as well. And when I was sitting there in the homegirl cafe having lunch with my friend, Victor, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, well, here's a pop beer. I would have never thought about hiring former felons and, and gang members back in my yeah. corporate world. And I'm looking around watching them, how dedicated they are working, how happy they are working. Mm -hmm. And come to learn later, it's really the first job they've ever had. And so when Victor asked me to get involved, I'd say, well, and the businesses at that time, the homeboy businesses were struggling. Typical thing happening, a lot of nonprofit folks were running businesses as opposed to having business people run the, on the business side of it all. Yeah. And so uh, he asked me to get involved. And I started volunteering in the businesses that sort of to give them some advice. And I got to two months later, I father Greg and Victor decided that, you know, hey, you know, maybe we should ask Tom to come in and be CEO. <laughs> And uh, I didn't think I was going to work again, honestly, I, but I just wanted to do something else in my career. Then when Father Greg asked me to be CEO, I'm thinking, well, what does a for-profit guy know about a nonprofit? 
yeah. running it. But really, I mean, the chance to be in Father Greg's orbit for a while, he, to me, is a living saint. And the chance to be among a community that needs help, in my at that point, in my view, needs help and, need, and maybe my skills can help out, uh, was too great to pass up. So I, I jumped in. Yeah. And I, I took a leap of faith and I said, yes. You know, I had all the hubris of a corporate executive, right? I thought I could, yeah, sure, I'll do this for like six months to a year. I'll help him get in a, in a better financial position. Then I'll go off <laughs> and do something different. And here I am nine years later. And I just love, I just love the opportunity. I love what I've done and love being part of the community. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. I was struck because this is so true for all of us is the fact that your friend Victor taking you into a place like the homegirl cafe and introducing you to just an experience that was new for you and how that was the beginning of a whole other wonderful journey and the power of just going into a different world in this case with a friend or an acquaintance. I want to read another quote from your book that really touched me. I, you said you, you were brought in, I'm sure, because you're good at running businesses, turning businesses around, and being a finance guy. But then the journey becomes something else. So again, this is from your book, The Homeboy mm-hmm. Way. I have been so thankful for my time at Homeboy. It has led me into a spiritual journey I would have been blind to otherwise. I see and witness God's work here every day. This concept of the call of the king is action versus just thoughts. So this is you. Would you just elaborate a little more on what part of this journey has been for you? You know, I say this with reflection, right? Back in the corporate world, you can't, you can never really talk about your own faith in God. You know, it's like, it's, you can, you can say a lot of things in the corporate world. And listen, I've learned what are the rules. I'm going to live by the rules and win within those rules. Right. And one of the rules in the corporate world is you don't talk about unwritten rules. You don't talk about your faith. You don't talk about God, you know, anyway. So coming to homeboy, when I first came in as a, well, I've been a volunteer. So as I first came in, I've been trying to get there every day a week. I would learn so many head spinning concepts and life would be different. You know, it's like, you know, when you first come in, it's like, it's about relationship. Well, homeboy is about relationships, allowing somebody to finally have a good relationship. And so it tugs on the goodness of each of us. And that's how they change your life. You know, and so it's, there's a lot of humor happening at homeboy. There's a lot of hugs. I mean, I I would walk 10 hugs before you get to the office. Now, could you ever imagine that in the corporate world? No, no, (laughs) no. Right. And humor is used in a good way. It's it's humble way. And it's in my old world, I'd be walking hallways and seeing seeing some guys hanging around laughing, thinking, well, they're just lazy and not getting anything done. But guys hanging around laughing at homeboy means they're forming connection with their gang enemy laughing over something in common, and that's what's helping them move move life forward. I mean, that was like the some of the, the strange things at the beginning, and then 
doing what's right for that individual person, not worrying about you setting precedent for the whole organization. And we can talk more about that if you want. But to the spiritualities part, what I started noticing early on was that as people are changing their life, they're changing it via their own spiritual growth. Here are people with such traumatic past. They've been demonized, forgotten, abused, and yet they're, they're finding power in their own spirituality and finding God, which in, in witnessing that made me realize that maybe my view of my own spirituality is pretty superficial. I should, I should open my eyes along the way and learn from the, the homies and learn from this community. It's been now, you know, a nine-year journey, learning more about my own faith, my own spiritual journey, and it's been so uh, wonderful. And I truly say, although it's, you know, Father Greg's a Jesuit priest and we learned from him, I'm really learning that spiritual journey from the homeboys and homegirls. Because we're not in a corporate world and we can talk about this here. How has your relationship to your faith and understanding of faith and God changed as you what I'm hearing, hang out with people that are really different from you, that have very different pasts, and you're encountering them as humans, right? And that is affecting your own understanding of God, spirit, whatever. Can you give us some specific examples of what this change within you or this evolution looks like? Yeah, you know, that's a hard question to answer. Let me take a shot at it. It's very reflective, right? Church cover all my life learned all those things. But at Homeboy, as I was saying, that what we try to do is as folks, as people come through our doors, gang members come through our doors looking to change the team, you know, essentially, we, essentially, metaphorically, we hold up a mirror so they can see the goodness that's in them. So what I've learned deep down, God is within every one of us, and there's goodness in every one of us. No one's evil. There's goodness in every one of us. And so recognizing there's goodness in every one of us, it's when our folks or have struggles, right? And do things that in the corporate world, we would fire them or we would trounce them out or probably wag our finger at them. Those behaviors, you realize it's not just about those, it's what's driving those behaviors, right? What is the deep, what is a trauma? What is a struggle that's driving those behaviors? And it's realizing what if fundamental, if you now understand that there's goodness in everyone and no one's evil, that makes you think about this, every situation differently. Secondly, we know what you need to communicate to everybody is everyone's loved. Like, you know, as Father Greg says, God's too busy loving us to be judging us. And so as you're working with folks, it's like you got to get across to them that they are loved. They are cared for by God and by us. And that, that's a mind shift. It's not like it's the corporate world wouldn't, would say no to any of that. It's just, you just don't think about those things in those situations. And so it's understanding those are two big tenets that, that I follow now. Now, you and I are both two, we're both white men of a certain age. And I'm just thinking back when I was 35, I moved for a while, lived in this tiny island, the Caribbean, Tobago. And it's the first time I, I lived in a little village where I was the only white person. And that I was very visible as the only white person. Mm-hmm. You are white a CEO and you're engaging with, I would imagine, predominantly people who are not white. Our whiteness represents things to people, Right. Does that come up? And are there any lessons around how that gets negotiated within homeboy industries? I'm really curious. Yeah, sure, sure. It comes up in a lot of ways. Let me give you a couple of different angles on this for you and whoever's listening. 
hang in there with me with yes. this one because because I've learned that talking about race is very dangerous right and yeah homeboy and I, I talk about this a couple of times in the book in terms of race and race relations I think homeboy does a wonderful job wonderful job of, of being the antidote to racism and, and racial issues and racial injustices along the way so yeah I mean I'll just fill in your question a little bit more essentially the folks we work with the gang members you know, every, you know as I said our, our, we have let me give you a little bit of numbers we have over 300 clients, trainees on payroll. So that means they're former gang members looking to leave that lifestyle, right? And over 10,000 people come through our doors every year looking for some type of service or help, right? Okay. So, and they're nearly all, those gang members are all people of color, uh, black, Latino, you know, Asian, you know, you know, maybe 5% are, are white gang members, right? So, Listen, so race is a huge race and racism is a huge issue among our population. So as the as they're joining gangs, the gangs are split up by race, right? As they get incarcerated, the way to survive in jail and prison is to stick with your race yeah. <laughs> along the way, right? And so on top of that, they all have this pain of fellow gang members being killed by someone of another race. They all have this concept of the correctional officer being a white guy standing above on the railing, looking down, right? And so they come, clearly people come to Homeboy for the first time looking to change their life, but they come with a lot of anger and a lot of frustration, not just because of race, but race is sort of mingled into, yeah. mixed in with all that. So it is front and center to what we do every day. And from what, as Father Greg says, and what we do and what the culture is, it's about kinship and caring and relationships and compassion. And so we work with gang members, not gangs, which means we work with people, not racial yeah. gangs, right? And so we make sure like our home, like as an example, one of our social enterprise businesses is our bakery. We make artisan bread. We deliver bread to restaurants around Los Angeles. Artisan bread means it's made, made by hand. So our guys from different gangs, different races are standing at our bread table, rolling dough next to each other. And you can't you end up not demonizing somebody you have a relationship with. And so we don't use a lot of the language around race. We just sort of live by we're all in this, we're all in this together. We all have they all have anger, they all have pain. Let's work it on through. So our team, our team of managers who are former lived their lifestyle, really understand how to get men and women out of gang life. So that's sort of the big point of race at Homeboy. That we work with individuals. Now, to your question about me as the CEO and yeah, I mean, at the beginning, whenever I'm talking with someone, there's a little bit of that hesitation. And, you know, it's again, I'm going to answer your question in a minute, but to your point is, and I talk about this, is like, look, in corporate America, it's nearly all white, right? And so if a person of color sits in a room, they feel, you know, that's that's unusual. There's so many times I'd be looking around a room, and even among my leadership teams, I'm the only white guy there, which is good is what we should be about as in, as homeboy industries. But, you know, people are very respectful and care about what each of us does. And so I thought, honestly, here's the bottom line to my answer. I thought way more of that in my first six months yeah. than afterwards. And it's just in many ways, I want to say people are too busy. People have their own struggles and it's hard to be yeah. poor in America. And as we are helping them, to be so focused on whether I was white or not white and helping them out in my role. I'm also very curious, like what are some things you have learned about business and leadership 
being the CEO in a non-for-profit organization with a powerful mission in comparison to how previous corporate companies were run? Like, what you've learned about, I hate to use the cliche, like these are actually better practices than what in the corporate world we call best practices. So what are some better practices that you want to share with our listeners that jump out at you? Yeah, a couple of things. Culture, it's cultures and nonprofits. Every organization really focus on their, they, they focus on their culture because that's what sustains over a period of time. It's, I find it's a little bit harder in a for-profit company to, to sustain that culture. A nonprofit, particularly a mission-driven company that's a human services organization, is sort of right on that people join our organization, Homeboy, because they believe in our mission. Yeah. And so that's the first step is that what do you do every day to kind of reinforce that mission? It's not just about reading the mission statement, but it's living by those values. And it's the, and it's the values of people. And particularly in my corporate life, most of it was a service-oriented business. So we, you know, back in Airmark, there's no special patents or technologies and we manage people. That's what gets the job done. What I would take back to a service organization or I guess any organization, it's about the individual. You know, in the, in the corporate world, you make a policy, you think on behalf of everybody else and no one should deviate that policy because then everyone will want to deviate from that policy. Yeah. Right. What I learned at Aramar, or excuse me, at Homeboy is, no, 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 we're helping the person who's in front of us. And so if we got to give them an extra loan today or give them some money for housing, or we got to sort of excuse them for their fifth time for their tardiness, that's okay. Because that's what that person needs today. And we're not going to worry about somebody tomorrow saying, well, you did that for him, but not for me. <laughs> Everyone has a different situation. So I've, so I've kind of learned is, all these strictures and structures that are in the corporate world, oh, they're so confining and they're, they're there to kind of stop the bad apple from doing something in the corporate world. And yet in this world we live in today, it's like, no, let's, let's do what we do to help those person, people who are struggling as opposed to putting rules against making those people who struggle sort of work themselves on out. Uh, and so that's, that's a big one about treating the individual. And the other one is it's about mindset. It's, you know, in the corporate world, as you're, you know, if you see somebody in the hallway, you stop and have a quick chit chat, but you got like nine other things running in your brain. Right. <laughs> yeah, homeboy, when you're working with people who are, are trying to change your life and pain and trauma in their life, when you stop and talk to them, you get centered and you, it is just about what you got to do to help that person. And you put all that functional stuff aside that, you, yeah. you know, you got to run the report, you got to get this, make that phone call. No, no. It's about being centered with people. And I think those are two attributes that any leader should use going forward. That's a beautiful lesson for all of us. And uh, you, you articulated it so wonderfully. Now, very personal question for you. And this is not about how long you're going to be at homeboy, but as you look forward to your own life, you know, what are some things that you, whether it's in homeboy or inside, you would like to do a little more of, because it would either make you happier, bring you closer to God, whichever way you interpret this, or, or what are some things you might want to do less of? So if you had to dream for a moment, you know, what comes up with that question? Yeah, I'm going to go back to one of the things you said in your earlier questions about the call of the king, right? And yeah. to me, that phrase means 
for me, this is just for me. Yeah. Can, you can tell I'm the corporate guy, like getting nervous about talking about God all of a sudden. <laughs> Please talk to me about God as much as you want. <laughs> right. It's to follow my faith and not just follow it intellectually, but do something with it. And doing something is to call the king's action in my mind is the, and that's what keeps me so motivated to be a homeboy is to help people. And, and, and again, it's not just helping people because I'm the CEO and I can do this, but it's actually being in kinship, mutuality, shoulder to shoulder with people in relationship with people. And that's what I learned to do. That's what I want to do more of. And that's what I'm trying to get across in this book is we all can do that as humans, is be with people, be in mutuality with people. And so I say it now, I don't think I ever stopped doing that. I guess I, I want to do more of it. It takes on a different fashion. And so the spirit of your question, I want to say two things about me as CEO. I've loved my time as CEO. It's been one of my desires of me and Father Greg and I both agree that someday homeboy, homeboy, homeboy should run homeboy. Yeah. <laughs> that we need to keep growing our team from within. Yeah. And it needs to have a blend of outside people and people with lived experience and people who are former clients. Yeah. And uh, we're pretty good over 50% of our manager team, uh, uh, people who lived experience, getting it to more senior level. It's a much smaller percentage, but we're working on that as we go forward. So I would love to sort of do less day-to-day. I mean, look, running a nonprofit, you, you wear lots of hats. Yeah. And I think we got a team coming along who can do more of that, but just spend more time in action helping people. Yeah. Final question. You told the story so beautifully of how you have ended up where you are at Homeboy, how you're being a leader in a very different way and the things you're learning. Our listeners might think, well, that was probably easy for him. He made a lot of money in the corporate world. He didn't have to work. Easy for him to do whatever he wants to do. But if you had to give some wisdom to listeners who go, oh, I also have another passion I'd like to pursue, or I have another business I'd like to start, or I'd like another non-for-profit that speaks to my heart and I want to get involved. But I don't know where to start or how to do that. What kind of guidance would you give folks? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think a lot about I think a lot about how fortunate I am in my life to have been able to do this and and have the ability to do this. But then I want to quickly say, yes, I'm grateful for that. What I see is how just moving to the, as Greg talks, moving to the margins, moving to the people who are on the margins and being in kinship with them and being in relationship with them, not only changes their life, but changes in our lives as well. And so Homeboy has so many volunteers that come in and help us. And they're not people from my background. There are all sorts of backgrounds. And so it, I, I don't, if people are sort of thinking they want to do, yes, go take action, do more. There's people who are poor in our society is a very difficult struggle. And so we need to bring more resources to them, whether it's uh, business needs to do better for them. Society needs to do better for them. I've come to learn there's two Americas. I talk about that in the book as well, but it's more about, yes, we can help. And I, I say this, a lot of people love homeboy. We have a great reputation for well-earned, right? We do a good job. For our founder, Father Greg Boyle, um, and people think, well, you got to be like, well, do you have to be like a 
Jesuit priest to do this work, or you got to be a, a successful CEO. No, no, anybody can kind of just move to the margins of people who are not like us yeah. and be in relationship with them and to help them out. And when you get there, and this is the m- most important thing I've learned, is you find joy. Yeah. And that brings balance in life is, is having foundational joy you are doing. So whether, and so that's what I'm thinking. If I had learned, if I could have known that back when I was 35 or 40 years old, <laughs> yes, I would have been better off, right? But finding joy in what you do. Now, and you can do, it. Does, your whole life doesn't have to be about working with people who are poor. It could be only like Saturday, Saturday mornings, right? You, you, you can, everybody's got a life to run as well. Um, thankfully, I get to do it all week long, but it's okay if you can only do Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings or something like that, but it doesn't have to be complete, but it's a move to your own, what brings you joy. Yeah. Beautiful. Where would you like to direct our listeners to curious about Homeboy Industries and want to learn more about it, or they're curious about your book? Where should they go and get Yeah, sure. So for Homeboy Industries, let me just say we're a $30 million organization. We have, we raise about $20 million of funds every year. Our businesses contribute about $8 million and we only get about $2 million from government. So in other words, I'm in my fundraising mode. We're always looking for, <laughs> for sponsors and donors along the way. So, and that's terrific. So uh, www.homeboyindustries.org. We have a lot of content on the site, a lot of great YouTube videos, a lot of people with lived experience telling their personal stories. Mm-hmm. And you really do see how people change their life right before your eyes. My book, all 100% of the proceeds go to Homeboy Industries. What I try to say, talk about in the book, and it's on Amazon called The Homeboy Way. What I try to talk about on the book is, hey, Homeboy has been successful, and the rest of us should take some lessons from the way we go about working with people who are not like us and how we can move life forward and, a, and make a better society. Thank you so much, Tom, for this. Uh, well, thank really you. It's me inspiring conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.